enablement, and I hope you're doing okay. Um, you can jump on the StreamYard uh, if you're just getting this, or you can um, call me back, 210-683-9307. That's 210-683-9307. Happy to host you. I'll bridge the gap in the meantime as we talk about revenue and sales enablement for visionaries. Take care, my friend. I hope everything's well. Bye-bye. And welcome in to Vision Pros Live. Um, I am <clears throat> on by myself for now. Uh, Roderick Jefferson might be joining us. He might not be. Uh, he does have quite the portfolio of experience, so I'm excited to uh, talk to him in the near future. But there are plenty of practical ideas um, that I've learned over the years myself in terms of driving revenues and sales. So we'll dive into my ideas. If, if uh, Roderick shows up, we will add him to the mix and move from there. So Vision Pros, let's enjoy the ride. All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We'll be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Everybody and welcome into another episode of Vision Pros Live. I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. And I'm excited to dive in about revenue and sales, uh, two of the most important topics for visionaries who are striving to create growth because you need a vehicle in order to really create the type of growth that you want. If your vision, if the design of your vision is to help others, the most one of the most important vehicles you can have is revenue in and of itself. I mean, look at what you're doing right now and trying to accomplish in the world. And imagine that you had $10 million available in assets to be able to put towards that vision. Would you be able to accomplish your vision with better execution? Would you be able to move your dream forward if you had access to that type of capital? My guess is yes, um, in most cases. Now, there is a reality, though, that's there as well. And that's if you are not a wise steward, if you're not responsible with what it is that you do, then that cash will actually magnify your efforts. Um, and so if your efforts are bad, it's going to magnify your bad habits. If your efforts are good and holistic and you're well prepared, it's going to magnify that holistic nature that you've created. Entrepreneurship is not an easy sport. So let's dive in for those who are well prepared um, and those who would benefit from having that type of capital or access to that type of capital and dive into if you had $10 million, um, you know, available, what could you then be empowered to do with your business? And um, you don't need $10 million to accomplish most of the goals that you want to. So let's take a look at these sponsors real quick, uh, real quick, cold click and simply fast. Um, if you're brand new to business, I do recommend simply fast. I've never used it. But I'm proud of a company that offers websites at $179. If I was in the position where I needed a brand new website, didn't know what to do, and didn't have a team, I would highly recommend checking out what Shane Michaels building over there. She's got a really good feeling for his heart. I can't wait for him to, to come on the show. That's again, if you've graduated past or just aren't comfortable with the idea of building it for free yourself on Wix or on Squarespace. Now, I'll share one more truth about this. And that's when I launched JCal Digital, my brand did not need a website to win. And that is critical to realize. Most people think it's an end. Like I can't start my business because I don't have a website or my business isn't going to grow. No, that's not true. I was a web developer with offering websites to others. And I had just, uh, I just left video power marketing a little bit prematurely um, from when I had wanted to. And that's a story for another day. Um, but I, I launched a website as fast as I could. I had a header and everything below the header said header one, header two, header three. 
and lorem ipsum. It had no content on it, a ton of coming soon pages. And I ended up getting my first four or five websites with a website in that condition. How did I do that? Well, one, I had experience helping other people with their websites. I had case studies and testimonials. I had references. My website was just a container to help show my past. It was not a reflection of the present value that I could provide individuals. So um, that's something to consider if you're in the beginning stages of getting started. Uh, cold click. <clears throat> cold click is a system that we use in order to, they, they help us with our LinkedIn automation. Um, so I, I write the messaging for what we put out there, but they make sure that we stay within the boundaries of what is allowed by the algorithm of, of LinkedIn. Um, I really appreciate the fact that, that they're on top of that. They've got uh, team members who make sure that our campaigns are on point. Uh, when it comes to messaging, though, um, the messaging is usually determined by you, um, not the system provider. The system provider can provide frameworks and they can provide some insight, but most people get that wrong. And most people are too aggressive with their, they're either too passive or too aggressive. One of the most common messaging sequences, you probably received this on LinkedIn, by the way. Um, here's a sales enablement tip for you. Fix your messaging. Um, people don't care about most of what you're putting out there. Um, unless you've got a funnel that's converting at a very high rate, then you should be willing to hear that news and say, well, what can I optimize to make that better? And I'll give you some very, very helpful tips right now. So number one, there's this message that is constantly sent out on LinkedIn. If you get a lot of connection requests, you, you're familiar with this one. And it says, uh, hey, it looks like we have a whole lot of, it looks like we have a couple people in common, um, right? That message gets so overused and it's sickening to me because it's like, you don't actually care that we have mutual connections. You're just leveraging that as a tactic to get in my network. I do not accept the request from people like that, or I put a pretty hard reverse spin on it, or I reckon, you know, if you get in the proper leadership position, you realize that person is a victim of bad marketing and all their marketing stuff probably sucks if they're still dealing with that type of messaging. Another one is, uh, oh, hey, you look like a, you look like an awesome uh, expert in your field. Um, the same thing. Um, you know, what's your point? You know, what are you, what are you getting at? Um, that person is a victim of bad marketing because that's you're not helping people. You're not driving a sense of connection. I would much rather receive, and this is a, a LinkedIn hack, if you will. I'd much rather receive a connection request with zero message, right? That that tells me that you either reached out to me on your own accord or you've simplified your automation and you are confident in the value of your own profile. And that's what you want people to see. You want people to see your face. You want people to see your title and what you stand for. And you want people to do a little bit of digging. It creates the click. And that's the ultimate goal is to get somebody to truly want to know what do you do? Who are you? Um, so that you can turn around and then help the person that you've reached out to or that your automation has gone after. So anyway, um, those are some sales enablement uh, superpowers at the marketing phase of the relationship. And what's the difference though? between the marketing phase and a sales phase um, when it comes to, and, and do they overlap? Are they in the same department or not? Those are all things worth exploring. So I recommend <clears throat> that you go ahead and write some notes about this process. Feel free to challenge me on it, of course. Feel free to bring your own two cents to the equation. Uh, business is different for every type of business that's out there. Um, sales and marketing for a restaurant is very different than sales and marketing for um, an industrial warehouse. 
Um, sales and marketing for Home Depot is different than for Apple. Um, there are certain similarities, but when it comes to sales and marketing, do they go hand in hand? Most of the time, yes. Most of the time, the sales department is a department within the marketing department. And because of that, they're supposed to be harmonic. With a company that is more focused on operations, sometimes that sales department is not best fit within the marketing department. Sometimes the sell has more to do with what's going on on the operations side of the business and the sales department is better managed under the CEO, chief executive officer, instead of under the chief marketing officer. And trust me, I wish it wasn't complicated. I wish that it could just all be one giant org chart, one, one way, one system for every single company out there. When I was a, a very young entrepreneur and I had that idea like, oh, I'm going to create the ultimate org chart. And I started the process of creating this lead magnet of like the one universal org chart for everybody. And it was one of the most debilitating, frustrating experiences because I realized, oh, wow, this will never work for a restaurant who doesn't need position X, Y, and Z. They need these positions that this other type of company doesn't. And I began to realize that all companies have different structural needs for their hierarchy, uh, which is why also books like Rocket Fuel exist. Um, Rocket Fuel, I kind of recommend. I recommend the E-Myth way more, which is what the Rocket Fuel built their concepts off of. But one of the things that they've chosen to do as a fad, and I don't think it's a good move, but it is something that is common, is eliminate positions um, and say, you know, we're not going to we're not going to have these titles um, uh, within the companies. And I, I don't agree with that approach. Um, I think that the titles are important for the sake of defining clear roles. And they have their own way of doing it, but I can understand why they're they're um, trying to create a, a new way, a new paradigm, a new perspective to look at it. If business were easy, every single person in the world would run their own business, um, you know, and would be successful at it. But when we have a country that has a success rate of four percent, that means we have a failure rate of ninety-six percent, and that's not today. That's over the last one hundred years. Um, it hasn't really shifted that much. Uh, we have to look at that circumstance and say, okay, what are we missing? What do we need to learn? Uh, what all do we need to learn to get out of this type of a performance? And I will say that enabling sales um, and driving revenues is probably key component one, two, or three. But I did not say sales teams are the key component. I did not say um, learning to sell your product or service is the key component. And the people who already ran out saying, well, that's exactly what I knew, Jackson. Uh, that's exactly what I'm doing. Missed the boat. Um, they don't understand how the process of, of sales works from the get-go. So here's the biggest concept that is not being taught in the market <clears throat> that I often uh, am teaching those who, who work with us. And that is you have to learn how to clarify your vision and create a culture in order to attract the right people, which then creates what is marketed. In other words, you have to learn how to sell your vision itself. If you don't, don't learn how to sell the vision, you have a very, very hard time attracting business for as long as you don't do just that. So I'll bring up a little screen share for this. Um, let me go ahead and pull that up. And this visual will help enhance the reality of what I'm talking about. So we built this uh, this concept so that 
entrepreneurs could start to catch the drift and understand that, yes, everything starts with the vision. And there's two companies I'm going to use to prove this point. Um, both companies are either loved or hated by the re their respective audiences. The first one is Disney, right? Anybody who hates the name Disney has does not care about the next Disney movie coming out. If that is something that that irks you and you you don't like the the brand, you're not going to go see that movie um, that comes out. You're not going to feel it's relevant to your life. No matter how much somebody tries to sell you on going to see that movie, if you're truly against the entity, it's not going to it's not going to go over well. Um, on the on the flip side, if you are a Disney fanatic or you are a believer in Disney and the vision and the culture, you are ultimately accepting of the way that company is structured, then you're going to see that movie. And you don't have to be sold on the movie itself. The service or the product is the movie. You don't have, you don't even have to be convinced. You're just going to do it because you believe that you belong to the, the virtues or the, the characteristics that draw you towards that brand. They're not selling the product or the service. They're selling the vision. They've created a culture that's attracted a certain type of leadership that you tend to focus on the positives of that leadership and of that culture and of that vision. Whereas the other side of the market that doesn't want anything to do with that and that feels that they're evil, um, you know, that's okay. That's their thoughts. That's their feelings. The point is the product or service does not matter. And that is a weird concept, but true. The product and service only matters once people know that the leadership providing the product or service cares about them. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that applies to principle number one of revenue growth for business. Let's look at another example of that, a more recent one, one that uh, years ago, got you know everybody said this stock's never going to make it. They have no chance of existing in the market. Nobody's penetrated this market in 50 years, and so many people were bearish. That means they did not like. They did not think that the company had any chance or hope of succeeding. There were major names who said this brand would never make it, <clears throat> and this entrepreneur got up on stage after having created enough uh, drama around the company enough of a PR and media play uh, because of his vision and his culture and leadership. And he sold a car on stage, meaning nobody got to get in the car and drive it. Nobody got to even see under the hood of it. And he said, hey, you're going to get this car in two to three years from now. Can you imagine buying a car and being told you might get it in two to three years if you invest in this? And 180,000 extremely intelligent people ended up buying the Tesla Model 3 right there on the spot, 180,000 signed up and it blew my mind as I watched that event and realized, whoa, these are people who have great credit scores, um, who are very smart, um, highly, highly intellectual, um, and they're investing in droves in a car that they don't even know when they're going to get it. That is vision. That is insane power. So the reality is, if you as a visionary, uh, and, and let's talk about one further reality there. There's this, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but there's this Netflix show that came out. I think it was, I don't want to slander anybody. There was a rap artist who was involved in it. One of you drop it in the comments, you know, what I'm talking about. He also sold a vision. 
And the whole thing ended up being a heist. Like the whole, I shouldn't say heist. The whole thing ended up being uh, fraudulent. It didn't end up happening. Nothing was there. There was no event that occurred. So there's there's a reality. If if Elon Musk had not had the fulfillment built out and the operations and the systems, one nobody would have ever gotten him to that that phase. I don't think of, of how much influence he had created. But two, he'd be in prison right now for having sold a false vision. He's not. He's one of the richest people in the world at this point because he clarified his vision. He created a culture that people wanted to belong to. Those two things attracted amazing leadership to come along and say, I want to be part of this. I want to work with you. I want to help build this out. And because of that reality, they then had something they could go to market with, that they could market, that they could sell to people. And again, that was the vision, culture, and the leadership components of, hey, here's what we're going to build and how we're going to build it. But nobody would have cared if he hadn't put the, the right leaders into place and hadn't attracted them to begin with. My question for you and your brands, are you hiring the bottom of the barrel? Are you hiring people to just take care of the task instead of caring about attracting the types of people who are committed to the dream? Do you skip the dream phase and just say, here's how you answer the phone. Here's how you do this. Here's how much you're going to make, by the way. And and uh, you're going to get some vacation days and it'll be kind of cool. But uh, make sure that you don't miss work and make sure you don't do this and that. We really don't like it when people do this and that. Do you, do you set a bunch of rules and tasks? Is that your way of inspiring people to want to work with you and build your vision? Or do you help people understand the vision that they're building and how important they are to making that vision come to life? And do you have procedures and operations that help them fulfill their roles? Or do they kind of, or do you bring them in and hope that they build it for you? Um, well, if, if you do, they're going to build, build their vision, not yours. You didn't share the vision with them. They have to now invent it. And that's going to work to a certain extent. But there are going to be some massive damaging pivots that come along the way um, because you as a vision, you as a leader did not provide a clear, responsible vision to the people who are helping you execute said vision. So, uh, again, I'd love to know what you what you feel about that, you know, what you think, how, how that can help you with your growth. We'll dive into some more practical ideas related to revenue and, and sales enablement. These are hard truths. So I know that this is kind of like eating broccoli um, and cauliflower without ranch dressing. Um, it's not it's not easy stuff to do. Um, we're going to go to that, that uh, some more of those images real quick. Um, so let me pull back up the slide. You got to see the slide of, again, your foundation should be your vision. You should then move into, you know, making sure that you've established a culture leaders want to be a part of and establishing your marketing, not based on the product or service, but based on belonging to the entity. That means branding has a critical role here. Yes, conversions are fun and they're exciting and you want to drive them and you want to make sure that people are converting for the right reasons. If they convert for the wrong reasons, it will not last. They will not feel a sense of loyalty. They won't have a lot of purpose with continuing to work with you. So you'll notice the red carpet here is labeled media. That means that you do want to be attracting media attention from the beginning of the get-go and every single one of these phases as you build. And advertising, this is referring to scaled advertising on the top of the building, right? This brand right here, well, it's, this is my brand because this is my company, but your company would be replacing this logo right here. 
instead of saying first class business, it would say what your brand name is. And again, these are the stair steps, the foundational elements that will help you build a very solid brand. If you don't have these elements, if I look at my company and my company's flaws, I know that it is one of these stair step foundational pieces that is flawed if we're struggling as a company or wherever we are struggling as a company, it is relevant and related to one of these key dynamic portions of my company. Um, the other the other truth that goes along with that, though, is when it comes to vision and culture, right, those those two components are based off of, um, you know, what do you base them off of? Right. If you don't know the answer to that, what do you base your vision, your culture off of? Then this next slide is going to help you tremendously. In my opinion, vision and culture is best developed on proven virtues, virtues that you can you can then utilize to assess are the people I'm bringing into my brand, both in terms of oh, actually I shouldn't say both all three in terms of investors and in my brand, in terms of clients of my brand and in terms of team members, right? Do those individuals align with the virtues with which we build? If they do not, you are setting yourself up for uh, likely an implosion of some type. So these are our pillars of virtue, <clears throat> uh, of virtues, and they expand beyond this. But these are the core virtues that we focus on. And I could see us in the very near future, one for the sake of designing an alignment between uh, this dynamic of the mechanics or the departments of growth and the pillars. I, I designed this originally with the eight pillars because I'm very impressed with the Pantheon. Um, I, well, I come up with the eight pillars, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight here. Um, and so I found a building that had eight pillars and the Pantheon happens to be the largest uh, reinforced concrete dome in the world 2000 years after it was built. I mean, that thing is sustainable. And so when I found that, I was like, oh, cool. Like the nerd in me geeked out like crazy. Um, and I realized that, okay, well, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to use that as the model to talk about, to help people understand the value of longevity and the value of the system as well as the virtues. So for now, our virtues are built on a, a different foundation in terms of virtues for the company and the culture. It is built on the foundation of love. We believe that everything that we do should be about love and caring others. And anytime I fall out of alignment with that or my leadership team or somebody who's working with me or one of my clients falls out of alignment with that, we need to change. We need to, to eat the humble pie and come back to the reality that we should be building what we're building for the sake of others. If, you, if we were to just do that and do that well, sustainability would be far more common, far more often. Now, there's other pillars that help that help showcase one that we actually have love and two that we're also a trusted entity that that is going to build uh responsibly for others and that is the the virtues of patience persistence consistency and reliability these are huge i cannot stress enough if you want to build a successful entity that is scalable if your team members have the patience to handle difficult situations and the persistence when it's not easy to be patient, right? To pr proceed forward and, and make sure that they're determined enough to get things done. And they have the consistency to be able to show up and do it on a regular basis. And they're also reliable 
Um, you know, there's somebody that I can I can trust to do that with or without direct supervision and management. Um, I have uh, enlisted people in my growth in my company who I can trust to help me build and to build uh, in in strong fashion. And these are all this is a system that is possible to continue to learn and grow in. That's also important, right? People who are dedicated to virtues and developing virtues in their life, the good news is they're constantly getting stronger. They're constantly striving to exercise those virtues, which in essence creates more value for them and for, for those who are in life with them. Um, so those are, those are also pillars that are super important in terms of driving revenue and driving sales responsibly. Um, all right. So those, uh, <clears throat> in terms of um, how these might apply uh, to your business or, or how you can apply these to what you're doing, um, you know what? I'll model that. I'll showcase uh, some of the things that we do to attract people to our brand. Um, and, and this comes in the form of, of the online version. Let me go to share the entire screen and we're going to move over to our brand. When, when some of the bigger players out there are evaluating who they might want to work with, what types of entities they want to hire, um, when we're looking at what types of entities we want to trust, for instance, like a restaurant we might want to go to. Yeah, sometimes we'll take, you know, take the chance on the hole in the wall that we just happen to walk across. Um, but most of the time, we tend to gravitate towards restaurants that are more established. And there's some subtle clues that help people know what brands are established and which ones aren't. So if you're looking for a brand that is a bit more established, um, then if the brand is missing a join our team button, right? If they have not put a priority on attracting team members, that is a big glaring red flag that the entity does not have a vision for growth. And again, I think most people subconsciously recognize that and say, well, I don't, I don't really feel right about said company. So as a company, it's important to have this, but this is also important because it drives talent to consider, man, maybe I want to join these guys on helping them build their brand. Uh, right. So let's go over and take a look at, at what we have here. Um, at the deeper you dive into this process, the more you see the scale of the brand itself. This isn't about manipulation. This is about driving clarity around the vision. And I'm going to transparently show you some of our clarity. So um, one, I got to adjust this. This, this is, what, is how we started the brand. That was one of the greatest mistakes that I ever made. Um, it was very costly. Um, and I should, greatest innocent mistakes I've ever made. Um, I should have named the brand from the beginning first, all spelt out. We, we decided to do this. And it was hilarious because we're trying to write our own email addresses. Within the first couple of weeks, we made so many mistakes accidentally spelling it all the way out. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a nightmare for people. Um, and so we had to make a big shift um, from the get-go. We had already gotten printed materials. We had already created all of our websites. We had to redo everything because of three characters. Um, that was it. So um, moving down beyond that, you'll notice that you can see the depth of our brand growth right here on this page based on the priorities and based on what's finished and not finished and available in terms of our RHR process. Um, so you can see that you know, we do allow project managers to apply for the position. We do allow alignment specialists, salespeople to apply to work with us. 
we also are seeking graphic designers to work with us um, and move our brand forward. Web interns, uh, it says coming soon. We don't have that built out. We don't, we don't have the infrastructure to bring on web interns at scale and to, to manage and grow them yet. When we do, we will activate that button. Um, an integrator, right? We've got this position title. We don't even have that title defined on this. And I can say internally, we don't quite have that designed. That also was um, brought up by Rocket Fuel. Um, you know, again, a, a decent book, not again, not as good as the E-Myth or Five Dysfunctions of a Team. There's certain elements about that book that rub me wrong as well, which is why I tend to kind of poo-poo on the brand a little bit. Um, I feel like they're they're unfairly manipulative of CEOs who are coming to work with them. And, and there's some half-truths to some of their statements. And if, if I pointed out to them, they'd recognize that. But the bulk of what they're teaching is better than what 99% of people are teaching about brand growth, which is why we'll reference uh, the, the asset. So social media manager, um, this is for our own internal social media management. We do have social media managing happening. We do have teams that help us on our social media management as well and that fulfill for our clients. But in terms of the vision for what we want, man, I, I want somebody to be joining our team eventually who's got the ability to spearhead this in a way that creates new strategic direction beyond what I've established and my existing social media team has established. An administrative assistant um, as well. Um, I've got uh, a series of documents to help me reevaluate how we go through that. But one thing that happens is as a brand, if you don't have these elements defined, you need to be super cautious about your hiring process because it will most likely backfire. One, you're going to spend way too much time interviewing in this process um, and, and trying to assess are they right, or you're going to cut corners and you're going to be, uh, you're going to go the get rich quick route and you're going to try to justify the process because you're, you're not well prepared. But the ones where we are well prepared to hire, we actually hire really great people. Um, go figure. And that's a, that's a huge element. And the cool thing is, let's just go into this alignment specialist application. If you want your team, you want your revenues to grow, you want your sales to grow, you need to get these elements ironed out and scalable so that you can move forward your brand as a whole. And again, I know I'm skipping around. I'm not giving you, there's no linear growth strategy for business. There's just not. It's like a roadmap to Starbucks in another city. Um, and you've got hundreds of thousands of roads you can choose to explore or not. Some of them will enhance your trip. Some of them will distract your trip. You need to know as an entrepreneur, as a visionary, what elements are most important for you in order to enjoy the journey and make sure that you arrive at your destination. And I'm just deciding to today go into a lot of the elements that are commonly overlooked by entrepreneurs in their haste of, try, of trying to scale. So Let's dive in uh, a little bit further. Again, if you have questions, feel free to drop them in the comments. But we're now looking at the alignment specialist, which is clearly labeled an independent contractor. Why? Because if you mess that up, if you forget to mention this, you will have a um, you have a labor uh, issue on your hand, um, and you will likely have a um, a lawsuit down the road. Now, I'm not going to give you any legal advice. I'm not a I'm not certified. Um, and, and things of that nature. But it is important to understand that having the job description defined upfront does protect your brand um, in very important ways. But more importantly, 
people who are looking for a job, right? While you could just give them a job, they're going to come in with their preconceived expectations of what working for you is like based on their past job experience. And here's my question for you. If they were on the market for a new job, um, you know, do they, do they want to be part of what existed in the past or do they want something new? They want something new, but they're also going to bring the baggage of whatever happened in the past. If they were the perfect salesperson, they probably wouldn't be on the market um, either. And there's no such thing as a perfect salesperson, but the duties and responsibilities of what you, what, what to expect at your organization are very important to define because they're probably very different than whatever they did in their past organization. I will say this, a lot of people get excited. The thing that gives me one of the biggest red flags for organizations is when they say, oh, we just hired the best sales rep for HubSpot, or we just hired the number one sales rep over at Disney. And what I know about that is the best sales rep for Disney is the fastest paper pusher. Disney is easy to sell. Like you don't have to sell well in order to work for Disney. You have to be fast and efficient in what you do. Um, and so selling for an entity that's a little bit less known or a lot of it less known, like first class business or your vision is going to be an extreme challenge for that individual who basically had a cakewalk of a sales process and they had to, they had to move fast and do things and you know they expected to they had people coming in the doors they had to manage and all that well they're going to have a very jarring experience if they come into your brand where you don't have any of that available and they're not going to feel comfortable because they're not going to know how to succeed in an environment that is completely different than where they were before so the cool thing is as people responsibly read through this they're pre-qualifying themselves. I don't have to do this part of the interview. This can scare people off who aren't qualified and who don't want a work environment that aligns with all this. There's plenty of people who do not want to work remote, who want to go into an office. And this helps me filter those people out to help them make sure they get into a job environment where they are well-suited. So the people who are then moving forward are now expressing diligence. I'm already testing their patience their persistence, and a little bit of their reliability. Reliability and consistency come later. So how can I test the virtues right, of, of somebody throughout this process without me being involved? That's how you end up clearing your schedule and allowing yourself to go on and do the important things for your business growth that other people can't do. The website can take care of this for me. I got a welcome message. They got to read it. You know, Do you have what it takes to serve clients at an elite level? Are you looking for an opportunity to work hard? Most people aren't. That's okay. I shouldn't say most people aren't. I don't know. Maybe maybe everybody is. But those who aren't are going to say, uh, heck no, I'm out. And I'm going to go, oh, thank you, website. Um, you did something to help protect my time that I don't have to do. Um, so we define a lot of information here to make sure that, again, our applicants who come to this process are only applicants that qualify for that. Let's go and see the next uh, piece of the form. Hopefully that that works from an email. No, it's not going to. But John at AOL, this guy's got to hate me. I send him emails all the time. Um, five, 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 five. I think that will work. Um, oh, come on. All right. Sorry. All right. Now we know. All right. My system is pretty good um, in that regard. My time zone. There you go. You know my address now. Um, all right. So let's just put CE and go next. You'll notice, okay, so still got the same form there. Submit an introduction video via Loom or YouTube, 
right? I don't need to meet with them to see their, their video or like see who they are. We need the, the video and I don't need to do this either. I want this to go to my team and my team has the ability to evaluate. Do they seem like a fit or not? And now we can decide to not respond or to say, hey, thank you for your time. We're not filling this position right now. Um, there's a lot of different ways where you might want to respond to this and, and make sure that you consult with an HR person uh, to ensure that your response is in line with uh, the standards of the country of what you're hiring in. Every country, every state has different rules in some regard. How much experience do you have doing inbound sales and or closing in the past? They're brand new or they got three to five years of experience. Other, be honest, if you have no sales experience, that is not an automatic disqualifier, right? We are giving people a little bit of a cushion, to be honest, because a lot of people are so desperate for jobs that they are willing to share little white lies or they second guess their background when in reality they have great sales experience. For instance, a mother, a mom who's never worked in a sales environment but has four teenage children, uh, she spent a lifetime trying to convince those four kids to listen to her. Um, she had to win sales arguments all the time. When is dinner? When is bedtime? Um, you know, why you can't go to your friend's house for this occasion? Why you should be excited about this family event? There, why you need to go to church with us, right? There's all sorts of things. Moms are so overlooked in the workforce and they are some of the absolute best managers and they are some of the absolute best assistants uh, because assistants, what do they do? They're assisting the person, the visionary with everything that the visionary does. That is overwhelming. And uh, the only thing, the only role that I know of that's more overwhelming than, than that, than being a visionary is being a mom. Um, it doesn't get much harder uh, than that. So anyway, those again are, let's uh, let's go through this. Let's pretend we submitted a video here. You guys are welcome to go through this, by the way. Um, this is, oh, I got to do the little dot com. There we go. Now we ask some questions. Um, you know, please describe some of your experience and offers you've closed in the past. What's your experience looking like in marketing media, buying social media? How much have you closed in your sales career? All these questions are strategic questions that help us understand and help that person understand, do they really want to work with us or not? And reliability, as I mentioned, and consistency gets tested as well. Because if they aren't even able to fill those forms out correctly, why would I want them handling my clients? Why would I want them handling my potential business opportunities? Again, we've got to build based on those virtues. That's going to help with the process of sales enablement and revenue enablement. Those are all practical ideas that you can put into place to help with the growth of your brand. Um, one of the things that I'll circle back to, and for those of you who are just tuning in, I'm going to go back to the slide. Um, that is one of our secret hacks about advertising. So if I go over here to the uh, this slide of where I showcase the priorities of a business and building out your vision, your culture, your leadership, and your marketing, because that's what people buy into first is do they belong with your brand? Then they make space to care about the service or the product that you're offering, unless they have a massive pain. If they've got a root, they need a root canal because they've got a problem with their tooth, that's different. They are going to get that solved by whoever's immediate, most fastest, closest location. But in general, and in the reality of most relationships, they're going to find a dentist they're permanently comfortable with that they want to go back to time and time again. That's established by these first four foundational elements, right? Advertising up here 
the advertising process and experience is one that this is referring to scaling your ad budget, but too many entrepreneurs do not understand that advertising with something like Facebook, where you can spend a couple of dollars and you don't have to throw the whole kitchen sink at it, that is one of your best friends. It is research and development. You're gathering votes about the quality of what you do. So you can do that by yourself. Um, you're probably not the best data scientist is my guess. Um, and if you are the best data scientist, you probably need to be spending your time helping other people with their data. And you know as well that you benefit from having multiple eyes and perspectives on how do we assess the value of this data. Um, you know, the, the hidden intricacies within the data that help us understand, okay, well, people didn't buy fast right away, but does that mean they're not interested? No, it just means that when they're home shopping, they have to be in a position to be able to buy a home in order to take action on said advertisement. Um, but are there mechanics that we can see? Are there elements of that ad that we can see that help us understand did they take interest at all in the offer or were they attracted or inspired by the offer? Well, it depends. Uh, what is the offer or the call to action associated with said advertisement, right? If you've invited them to sign up for your newsletter, nobody signed up. It's not necessarily because they didn't need a house. It's because nobody cares about your newsletter. Why would they? There's not necessarily any context around that. But if you have a button that says, and realtors, I would write this down, sign up to get your maximum home value. That's one of the most lucrative uh, engagements, um, opt-ins for the real estate market that I've seen time and time again. People care about knowing what their maximum home value is right now. Um, it really, always, they always want to know what's the maximum amount of money they could get if they sold their home. So you then get a whole bunch of people moving forward. But the cool thing about advertising as a means of research and development is this wasn't even available 30 years ago. So all your old school marketing strategists and advertisers, they have no concept of this because they're usually scared of the word advertising. They know that in order to test snail mail, you had to spend $10,000 a pop. Or if you wanted to test a billboard, you're spending 15 to 20,000. You're throwing everything at it. Uh, if you want it on TV, same thing. You're spending 20 to $30,000 just to try to see if that works. That is dangerous and scary and completely ineffective with markets that are pushing products and services still and not building a vision, culture, and leadership process. You might figure it out. There's plenty of brands out there, and I'm sure you can think of them that have invested so much and that they've, you know, they've uh, they've done fairly, they've done really well locally in terms of pushing that product or that service out there while having almost no, you know, vision alignment. One thing I can think of is is uh, legal entities, um, you know, those personal injury attorneys. You know, they're just kind of always in your face, especially where I live, San Antonio, Texas. Um, San Antonio personal injury attorney is one of the most expensive um, cost per clicks for Google ads on the planet. Um, and part of the reason why is it's a it's an it's an uh, auction based system. Um, so every time you out auction your competition, uh, you just have to keep climbing the ladder of paying more. The same is true of SEO, which is why those aren't great tactics to grow your business. But I'm digressing back to the point for the rest of you. You want to be testing with a system, whether it's Google ads or Facebook ads. I prefer Facebook ads. The enough of your audience is on Facebook and on Google in order to test. There are millions of people and you can't reach them all. But what you need to do is you need to target an audience where you can reach at least 400 people 
And what is that reach? It's going to cost you about three to four dollars to get that many eyeballs on your ad. And if your ad drives clicks and comments and shares and likes, that is telling you that you're on to a subject that makes sense for your audience. And you've only spent a couple of dollars to make sure that your message is good. How many of you out there are organically posting and you're all about organic and you're basically testing your marketing, testing your methods. You don't have 10 years of experience yet. You don't know if what you're doing, you think you, you're like, you're 99% certain because you're self-assured just like most entrepreneurs and that's a virtue, but you're putting out new content in front of your warm audience, which means you're using them as your lab rats. You're testing your new content on people that you care about and they might have a different reaction to it than, than you're assuming. Well, take the same concept run a $4 ad to test the theory and see what people say. And if people, enough people like it, you get a convert, you get a click through rate of more than 1% and you get a cost of lower than $1. Then you might have a concept that you do at that point, you've got what we call a power ad. You've got a great campaign that you can put out there and, and start to scale the process of that message. Does that mean every other element associated with that message is tested? No, it doesn't. So those are, those are the elements to consider. There's a lot. There's a whole lot to consider when running a business. Many people want to call it easy. Um, and I will say that there are certain recipes within the cookbook of business that are easy. And most aspects of business can be streamlined into a process which makes it simple. But it is an intricate, complicated process of pulling all of the easy, simple recipes together in order to create a holistic brand, in order to create sustainable revenue growth, that is not an easy process. And people who are selling you that, um, you know, usually have their own specific bias that they're after. They may want to make you feel better. And that may be the only thing that they want is to make you feel better. They may want to sell you something and get you into a program that's a little bit more common. But uh, I would be very careful about falling into the trap of people who are offering easy solutions. So there's some practical ideas and advice for you in terms of <clears throat> revenue and sales growth. Um, and I know Roderick Jefferson is going to provide uh, different angles on this same topic. And that's perfectly healthy. That's important. That's why mathematicians love to work together. Um, and chemists as well often love to work together because they can learn from each other. So we'll have him back on the show in the future if he feel so inclined. And Vision Pros, I hope you have a phenomenal day uh, doing, doing what you need to, to build your brand the best way possible to become the best leader that you can in order to inspire people to follow you along the way. And I will see you on the next episode. Everybody have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have